um, message is called The Power of the Cross. I, you know, you guys know we're in Lent, the season of Lent. Yeah. Who, who grew up Catholic here? Anybody? Okay. Sure. Okay. So you guys know all about Lent, right? Bob and Janet, you know all about Lent. No. You don't know anything about Lent? No, nothing. <laughs> um, Lent is the 40 days prior to Easter. It started, it starts on um, Ash Wednesday. That's when you get the no, it doesn't start on Mardi Gras. <laughs> but Mardi Gras is actually a part of the celebration. What you guys all know about uh, New Orleans when they have Mardi Gras and everything like that. Basically, Lent is a time when you pray, you fast, and you're supposed to give charity um, to whoever, right? And that's been part of the church tradition ever since the church started the tradition, right? They wanted to commemorate, the church fathers wanted to commemorate Easter, and so they said, we're going to do this 40-day leading up to Easter. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to give um, alms to the poor, that kind of thing. Um, and the ashes, the palms from Palm Sunday that have been burned before, down. From last yeah, year. from the year before. Yeah. yeah. And you're not allowed to say hallelujah. Because why? Because it's reserved for Easter Sunday. Oh, I love that. Oh. That's cool. Thank you, Tina. Well, in Mardi Gras, the people... And I'm not going to say this is a church tradition. This is probably a people tradition. They want to have a big blowout before they had to fast everything on Lent. So they have um, Mardi Gras, which is actually Fat Tuesday, right? The idea is you eat all your fatty, sweet, alcoholic things on Tuesday and gorge yourself for the 40-day fast that's to come starting on Ash Wednesday the next day. So that's the history of Mardi Gras, which I don't know if that's a good history or not. Yeah. <laughs> yes, not very spiritual. I think it's more secular or carnal, if anything, right? No opinion. Um, no opinion. And then, you, do you remember growing up when they would always have fish in the cafeteria on Fridays? On Fridays. Remember that? Because the Catholics gave up fish, um, they gave up meat on Fridays, so they had to eat fish. Is that the way it was for you guys? For you, Fred? Did you do that? Um, yeah, somewhat. My mom was a Catholic, my dad was. But, but then we would go to your favorite fish Long John Silvers. <laughs> you want to call that fish? On um, Fridays. Once in a while, yeah. For um, for Lent during the season of Lent. Yeah, they had fish fries. The thing I like about the Catholic Church, which was different than the Protestant Church I was raised in, the Catholic Church didn't have a problem with drinking beer and stuff like that with their fish fries, right? They'd have their um, really big community fish fries like on Friday night, and have beer and bingo and all kinds of things. In the family tradition I grew up, we couldn't drink or play bingo because that was just considered evil. They right? do they discontinue bingo during Lent? They do discontinue They do not. They do not so they don't give up bingo during Lent. <laughs> I sure had three bingos a week. I love bingo. I think back in the day, we don't really emphasize that the church calendar anymore. I mean, at least not in, in these what we call them low tradition churches, not in the churches where um, you know, it's not highly liturgical and stuff like that. We really don't follow the church calendar. But I think it's kind of cool to follow a church calendar because it reminds us of important things. You know, we've seen this last year through COVID that if we don't make a habit of something, it can easily slip away. That's right? true. Right? And I think that what the church fathers were trying to do was build things into the everyday life of people that was habitual in a good way, that built tradition and ritual and habits to keep people anchored, to keep people remembering 
what was going on, and especially back in the day when people um, were maybe not learned or they didn't have education or couldn't read, couldn't read the Bible, whatever, these traditions kept them anchored to the doctrine of the church, right? And so that was one of the reasons that Lent was such an important holiday is it, it actually conveys doctrine to the regular people, right? Um, I just, I told you, I just came back from the memorial service for Stacy. We met the Grange. I think we had maybe 50 people there. Yeah, 50 or 60. It was actually really good. Um, but you know what? I kind of, I don't know how church her family is or not. But what really I love is that when sacred th things happen in our lives, we all go back to the Lord mm -hmm. or scripture or tradition or whatever. I mean, there's nothing like a memorial service when you are commemorating um, someone who's died that really brings you down to real things. Like everything, let me say this big word, superfluous, Ooh. fades, superfluous, fades away, and you get down to the nitty gritty. And we had all, we had Bible readings, we had Christian songs, I was up there. I preached the gospel, don't you think, Chris? <laughs> In that service. Um, so I'm like, who knows if these people ever hear this message if I don't preach it to them, right? So I preach the gospel to them. But what's amazing to me is they all, well, people that are in sacred times of their life, they want an anchor for their soul. That's true. The, um, the, the world does not satisfy. They want to go back to something that's divine, something that's real, and something that is, has um, authority. Do you know what I mean? Solid, right? They don't want this willy-nilly, nothing really matters, there's no there's no real um, right or wrong. That doesn't satisfy where you're in the hard times of your life. You need some absolute. Does that make sense? So I think, I kind of think that's what the fathers of the church were getting at. They wanted to solidify what Easter really was in the hearts of people. So they, they made a lot of celebrations and rituals around that so they could point to something that was very important, which was Easter. And I know that rituals can become empty and they can become powerless when we do them without meaning, but I think that some celebrations, like birthday celebrations, we love doing birthday celebrations, like we do Christmas, there are all kinds of celebrations that we have in our lives that mean something to us so they point to a greater truth or point to a deeper meaning, or even the fact that they point to um, a family, a, a, um, a commitment to a group. Like, I was just thinking about how um, camping, I'm hoping we can go camping this year, I don't know if we can. But even like camping, year after year after year, that was making a tradition, making a memory, and it bound us together, even with just memories. You know what I mean? I was talking to Stacy, I, I led into my sermon, and I said, I've done so many, been involved in Stacy's life I married Stacy, married her brother. I um, I was there when she lost her dog and got a new dog. I, I moved her kids in and out of apartments. I was there when her kids were off the rails. Um, I've been in Bible studies with her and her mom. I mean, I've been involved with her family for the last 15 to 20 years. And I feel like that's because we, we built tradition and we built depth and we built memories together. And I believe that's what the season of Lent is meant to do, is to bind us together to the important things of life, which is Easter. Easter is one of the most important things that we can celebrate in the Christian calendar. 
Um, and sometimes we just so easily gloss over it as another another holiday. And I didn't want to do that this time because especially after um, this last year, which has been, I don't know about you, but it's been hard on me. It's been hard on me um, being isolated, not being around with my people. Um, it's been hard having somebody tell me what I can and cannot do. In terms of worship, even, that's been really hard. Um, and so, and, and it's, I'm not as discouraged as I was, but for a while I was really deeply discouraged. I was very, um, I kind of given up hope that the Lord was going to show up in any way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I, for me, I wanted to emphasize Easter to myself because I want to speak the truth back to myself about what is really real and not get um, tricked or deceived by the enemy that God has somehow forgotten us and that, that there is no power in the cross and that's all just lip service and it's all just dead religion and we're just going through the motions. I'm not okay with just going through the motions. You know, I'm not okay with just living life good enough. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to actually embrace the power of the cross and not only incorporate my own life but be there to minister to other people. One of the things I've been praying lately in my um my, my daily devotions is give me the opportunity to minister to somebody today that maybe I don't know, like um, in the grocery store, you know, stuff like that, Emily, right? Um, and be open to it. Let my heart be open to it. Like, I don't want to, I don't think I'm at a place anymore where I can just sit back and let life pass me by and let history and things pass me by and not be part of either the change or a resistance to a decline, if that makes sense. And so for me, I've been like, God, I want to minister to people that are hurting, so put them in my place today so that I can have the courage to do that. You know, and I've had, you know, I get people calling about mediation all the time, right? I had this one, your friend, your friend called me, what's his name? Michael. He called me, and, you know, these people are in their most desperate times, right? And I could tell, I think I, oh, I think we talked about the Lord or something like that. And at the very end of our conversation, I just said, hey, is it okay if I pray for you? You know, and I know that man from anybody, and I just prayed for him, and he's like, thank you so much, I really appreciate that. And I mean, I'm talking about those kinds of things. If we would step out in courage and do things that God has called us to do, I think that we will open the door for other people to do it behind us. Because I think they're just waiting for us to lead the way. Does that make sense? I don't know about you. I almost hesitate to go to this topic. I've been doing things around Castle Rock that are not sanctioned by the government, not wearing a face covering or whatever, into um, stores. <laughs> <laughs> now you're on record. I'm on the record. <laughs> but I feel like people are just following what other people are doing, and they need to see, they need to see some examples. And maybe that's not, you don't agree with that example or whatever. But what I'm saying is about living a Christian life, I think that we have to step up as the examples for the world because the world is just whirling around right now. They don't know where, what's up or what's down. And we have to step up into that to provide an answer to the world. And that's kind of my big preface for my sermon. So that comes down to, what is our message? What is the power of the cross? What's the message we have to give to the world that means anything to them? You know, 
I mean, it's, it's no good if we are, we're no different than the world. What do we have to offer them? We need to be different from the world. We need to present a different message and a different um, attitude towards what's going on. So that's kind of where I started at with what is the power of the cross? Like, why do we care? Why does Easter matter? Why does the cross matter? So the first thing I came up with is the power of the cross saves us from sin and death, duh, right? For us, we're like, okay, we get that. <laughs> but what does that mean? Even if it's even if we understand it intellectually, do we really get it in our heart? You know, because I, I did a funeral today, and the reality is people are dying, and some people are going to hell. Who wants to talk about hell? Anybody want to talk about hell? Because I don't like talking about hell. But guess what? Hell's a real place. Unfortunately, hell is a real place. Paul says this, I love this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And I see that really evident these days. Christians are seen as fools who don't follow science or who are um, outdated, outmoded, um, irrelevant. We are not wise. We're not considered wise in the eyes of the world. But I want you to know something. <laughs> the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. People that are perishing are going to see the message of the cross as foolish. We don't need to see it as foolish. We can't see it as foolish. It is vital that we understand the message of the cross. <laughs> I wrote in here, I don't know about you, if I hear one more time that we need to follow science, I may slip my wrist. <laughs> I don't think science is evil or wrong. I think science is a tool and a gift from God to help us navigate this fallen world. But the foolish world likes to elevate science to the realm of absolute authority, and this is true foolishness. When we choose a man-made authority over God, we are not just foolish, and this is a big deal. We are in open rebellion to God. This is a big deal because the world wants to um, have their cake and eat it too. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. God created this world. He created the way it runs. We do it his way or it doesn't work for us. Like there's no other, there's no middle ground. And it's open rebellion if we don't do it his way. We are in open rebellion. Paul says it like this in Romans. For God in heaven unveils his holy anger breaking forth against every form of sin, both for ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. So, there, so I guess I say this backs up my open rebellion argument. People know there's a God. There is evidence all around this world that God exists. There's a moral code, right and wrong, that God has instilled inside of our hearts. And yet to deny that is to walk in open, open rebellion to the Lord. And then, and then some people ask me, if God is good, how can he send people to hell? And it's because they don't really understand the condition of humanity, and they don't understand the nature of God, that this is an illegitimate question. Here's, I'm going to give you a, a word picture. Remember Titanic? The, um, the movie and the real thing, right? So the, those with Titanic said it was an unsinkable ship. They built this great big ship, and they're going to sail it from England to America. And this is what the Philip Franklin of, the, of White Star Line vice presidents in 1912, this is what he said about the Titanic. 
There is no danger that Titanic will sink. The boat is unsinkable and nothing but inconvenience will be suffered by the passengers. That's arrogance. Mm. That's hubris. That's pride. But what we know is the Titanic did sink. It hit an iceberg that it didn't see coming. It didn't really believe it was there. It didn't have enough lifeboats even on the boat because they never were convinced it would ever sink. They'd ever need all those lifeboats. And yet the Titanic came up against something they didn't expect and didn't count on, and it sits on the bottom of the ocean floor today. And you know, there are people, and this is true, there are people that down, went down the ship because there weren't enough lifeboats and because they simply could not accept the fact that they were wrong and that the, sink was, was, or the ship was sinking. They died in their pride because they were unwilling to say, maybe I had it wrong. Maybe I had it wrong. But imagine if you're on this Titanic and along comes another ship alongside you. And they're like, hey, come off of that boat. Come on to our boat. We got space for you here. We'll rescue you. The captain says, we'll rescue you. And the people say, oh my gosh, you're right. Look at that iceberg. I'm headed for a, you know, a watery death. I'll take it. That's salvation. Accepting salvation. Then there's other people saying, this is an unsinkable ship. I don't know what you're talking about. We built an unsinkable ship. We're not going down. And you know what? They reject that offer of salvation. That's what I'm talking about. We were all headed to hell. Every single one of us. Until Jesus came along and offered us salvation. It's not that God sends us to hell. We're already on the way. God doesn't send people to hell. He offers salvation. Everybody is already headed that way. All they need to do is say, oh my gosh. You're right. I do need a savior. That's all they need to do. And they can be saved. But people that refuse to bend the knee, so to speak, right, are going to miss out. Do you know that even with all the modern technologies, because after the Titanic, they went back to the drawing board and started writing up new ways to build ships, right, because they were all embarrassed and the ship went down. Even with all these modern technologies, mishaps still occur. Between 1980 and 2005, there were 57 incidents involving icebergs in the Northern Hemisphere waters. They still have not figured it out. They have still not figured out a way to make an unsinkable ship. We were on our way to hell and death, and Jesus offers heaven instead. That is the power of the cross. That's the first power of the cross, being saved from hell and death. The second is the cross saves us through a law. I didn't really know what the law was for a long time. I'm like, I know what it is intellectually. I don't really understand the difference between law and the Old Testament. And like, we all have to obey the law, blah, blah, blah. But when this happened last year with COVID and um, other things, I began to understand that the law, because I saw it operate in the political spirit, the political spirit is a type of actually religious spirit that wants to impose behavior from the outside in. It wants to control us to modify our behavior and tell us what's right and wrong, but it's not an internal thing. It's an external pressure, and that's what the law was. The law in the Old Testament was an external group of rules that people tried to live up to, but they did not have the Holy Spirit inside of them that empowered them to do that, so they were always falling short. They could never do it. They could never live up to that. And that's what the law was in the Old Testament. 
but in forgiving our sin, Christ freed us from the law. So like, let's go back to our Titanic thing. Imagine one of the designers or engineers was in the Titanic and is saved from the Titanic. He goes, oh my gosh, I was wrong. This ship is going down. Please save me. Get me to the other boat. It go, they go to the other boat. And instead of the people going, you know what? You were wrong. Go on the other boat. You were wrong. We're going to have a trial. We're going to try you for murder and manslaughter and all of that. When you've got grace, Jesus says, oh no, I got that for you. I got that for you. You're not going to stand trial for that because I've got that. That's what grace is. When we don't receive what we're supposed to get for our, for our sins. So imagine that engineer on Titanic. He was so prideful. He didn't put enough lifeboats on. These people died. He gets on the other boat and Jesus said, you know what? I got your covered. We're going to put you in another place over here in our new design room. And you're going to work for me now. And I don't even remember what you're talking about. The, 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 everything that's been in the past for you, all the sins you've committed, everything you've done, I don't even remember it anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear? That some sin that you've committed, some horrible, horrible thing was completely erased? That's what happens at the cross. That's what grace means at the cross. Because the cross erases the condemnation of the law. How many of you guys, do you ever do this You ruminate or you um, focus on your failures of the past. Does anyone do that? Does anyone any have any kind of um, like self-loathing or regrets about your past? Does anyone have that? Does anyone? I mean, I do. Sometimes I think back. You know, Chris and I are in this marriage class together, and we we're doing these. Um, you know. Sessions and we're like, man, why do we do that before? Like, why are we running that now? Why did we do that earlier, right? It's hard not to have regrets. It's hard not to look back and say, wow, what did I do wrong? And it, especially, I think as you get older, the more you reflect on your life, you're like, I should have done this different. I should have done this different. I should have done this, this different. I want you to know that's a tactic of the enemy because the enemy wants to condemn you with your past. The enemy wants to take everything you've done wrong, all your failures, all your shortcomings, and your brokenness, and condemn you with it. And say, you know what, you're not really, you can't get past this. You're not really ever going to be good enough because you're already bad. You're already broken. And you don't really deserve joy. You don't deserve success. You don't deserve happiness because you know what, you didn't do it right back here. And the thing is, Jesus broke that at the cross for us, but we don't always walk in that. Right? Like that's not our portion as Christians. But we sometimes don't really embrace that the way we're supposed to. Does that make sense to you guys? Mm -hmm. There's a, um, here's Hebrews 8.12. For I will demonstrate my mercy to them and I will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. I love this, Colossians 2.14. He canceled out every legal violation we had on record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it, all our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. So I think about the financial terms. 
He not only paid our debt and removed it, but then he destroyed the document on which it was recorded. So when we remember our failures, we're bringing that document back. And he's not looking at that document anymore, you guys. God's not looking at our failures and our brokenness in our past and saying, you're not qualified. You don't deserve good things. My favor can't rest on you because you're a broken vessel. But how many of us actually truly kind of believe that in our hearts? How many of us actually have this type of unforgiveness for ourselves or self-loathing for ourselves that we cannot actually receive what God has for us because we're so focused on what we did wrong? I know that happens to me all the time. I have regrets. I have some really big regrets over attitudes, uh, behaviors, fear, anxiety, that I look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Man, I wish I had been more healed up or smarter or less arrogant or whatever. But I want you to know, you guys, I'm getting to a place where I think that shouldn't take any place in our head. Like, we shouldn't be in that head if we really believe that we've been freed from the law and we're living in the new covenant, we cannot be bogged down by that. It doesn't serve us anything to go forward, and it's not biblical. It's not, it's not, it's not God's will for us to, to rehash the past, to live in the past in a way that it cripples us. And condemns us. Because Jesus doesn't condemn us about that anymore. He covered it on the cross. I think that's really good news to the world. I think the world is full of regrets. And full of shame. And full of self-loathing. And they need to know that their sins can be nailed to the cross. And then no one will ever look at them again. And the record will be thrown away. Would that not be good news to the world? So we were enslaved to the law, and Jesus gives us grace instead. That is the power of the cross. And the third one is the cross gives us dominion over powers and principalities. So first of all, we're not going to hell. One power. The second is we're not condemned by our sin anymore. We can live free. And the third is we get to trample over powers and principalities. We get to be partners with Jesus in domination. I want to dominate. I want to dominate this world. This this is my all-time favorite. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. This is speaking about Jesus on the cross. This is what happened when Jesus went to the cross. I love this imagery. It's very... I would just say this about, I don't know if fancy is the right word, but it's that genre of good versus evil that we love to watch in the movies, right? We love to see this epic battle that's played out, good versus evil, and evil is vanquished, and good is victorious. I mean, that's Lord of the Rings, right? We love those kinds of stories. That's what happened at the cross. That's exactly what happened at the cross. That's why we love it so much, because it's born inside of us to... to um, recognize that, reverberate with that kind of message. This is really cool. At the cross, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. The word disarm means to strip off clothes or strip off weapons. So here's an interesting irony. 
when Jesus was being taken to the cross, he was stripped of clothes. But when Jesus died on the cross, he stripped the enemy of all power and authority. You see that cool thing? The truth here is that the only one to give authority to the enemy, when God created earth, he gave authority to humanity to rule in his place. We are to represent him on the earth. We were his ambassadors, so to speak. We had the authority. The only way that we lost authority is we gave it away. We gave it away to Satan. The only person who can take it back is a human being. And Jesus, the perfect human being, took back the authority that was given away by Adam. Is that not cool? Isn't that, isn't that cool? On the cross, Jesus as perfect human reverses this curse. He strips Satan of all authority and disarms him of all power. This is um, Hebrews. Since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the efforts of the intimidating accuser who holds us against the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage the tormenting threat of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels, but for all the sons and daughters of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He made us brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. Here's the irony. Satan focused all his power on getting Jesus to the cross. But it was the cross that dethroned Satan. No, here's 1 Corinthians. None of the rulers of this present world order understood it. For if they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of shining glory. That's cool. Satan was like, man, if I can just get him to the cross, if I can just kill him, get him to the cross, I get him out of my world, I can keep up doing what I want to do. But it was the cross that stripped Satan of all his power. What a cool irony. The other thing, this is really cool, and this goes back to my Lord of the Rings kind of thing that I like. Beyond disarming the power of demonic spiritual forces, he triumphed over them. He made them a public spectacle. This is the picture of a Roman general walking through the streets with his um, defeated enemy in chains behind him. The purpose of this, when a general goes through, is to show his power and dominion over his enemy. And this is a picture of Jesus saying, I am making a public spectacle of these powers and principalities as a picture of my absolute dominion over the enemy. And I think that's the coolest picture ever. Can you just imagine all these um, demonic forces being shackled, you know, wrists and feet and shuffling through the street as a, as a public spectacle behind Jesus? I just love that. Here's, the, here's another delicious irony for this. Jesus was publicly mocked and humiliated at the cross, but the ultimate reversal happened at the cross. <laughs> Jesus was mocked. He was scourged. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They, they gambled for his um, garments. He was humiliated. He was made a public spectacle. But at the cross, Satan was made a public spectacle. 
At the cross, Jesus triumphed over him and made him a public spectacle. Not for one day, but for all eternity. We sometimes think that Jesus defeated Satan at the resurrection, but actually, the victory was won when that, or that the victory was won when Jesus rose from the cross. But actually, the Bible says Jesus defeated him at the cross. The resurrection was simply proof that Jesus had won. Isn't that interesting? You know how in a, in a um, boxing match, the referee will raise up whoever the winner is after the after the um, fight is over. That's what Easter is. Easter is. God raising up the arm of Jesus saying, look, we won. But the knockout punch is the cross. The knockout punch is the cross, is the sacrifice. That's the knockout punch. So what does it mean for us as believers in this day and age? It means we've been given authority. We are partners with Christ. We participate in his triumph over spiritual forces. What kind of authority do we have? The Bible says we have the authority to cast out demons. We have the authority to heal every kind of disease and sickness. We can, get this, tread on serpents and scorpions and all over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Who's tread on scorpion or snake recently? Anybody? Because I guess we could do that. Have you done that recently? Gilbert. Who killed the snake? Didn't you? We had a rattlesnake in our basement. Yikes. A baby rattlesnake. I know. And Chris let me go look at it. I'm like, I'm not looking at that. I scoop them up from time to time. The rattlesnakes out of your basement? Oh, gosh. Okay. So if we have all power over the enemy, that seems like a lot of power, right? So could it be power over political schemes to demolish our country? Yes. Could it be over the persecution of our faith? Financial opposition? Plans to steal our families? Plans to bring us despair and hopelessness? We have authority over all those things. The only authority the enemy has is what we give to him. Why would we give to the enemy something that's always already been taken away? Something that's already been finished on the cross 2,000 years ago. Why would we go back to that? Why would we do that? Anyone? Why would we do that? So we were oppressed by our enemy and Jesus defeated him at the cross. That is the power of the cross. So it's time for us to stand and live, our, live out our true, true reality. We need to cast off the power of the law to condemn us in our past failures and sins. We need to name those things. I think that it would not be a bad exercise, either together or by yourself, to actually name the things that hold you condemned. Are there things in your life that hold you condemned to the past or hold you condemned to a standard that Jesus does not ask of you? I think that's a legit question because those things are holding us in bondage if we're partnering with that kind of thing. Failed marriage, nail it to the cross. Failed business, nail it to the cross. Addiction issues, nail it to the cross. Relationship issues, nail it to the cross. Past regrets, nail it to the cross. We need to come out living a powerless life. Name those things that seem to have power over you. Strife in your marriage or relationships, take authority by the power of the cross. Poverty mentality, take authority by the power of the cross. Depression, anxiety, take authority by the power of the cross. Fear, take authority by the power of the cross. And you guys know me. I'm not saying we can. it's a one and done, we walk away from authority and we're never haunted again. That is not what I'm saying. 
But what I'm saying is when we take authority, we continue to take authority. English, the English language doesn't have the right verb like the Greek language does. Greek has the ongoing continuous verb of keep continuing to take authority. That's what I would say to you. Keep continuing to take authority in your life over the things you feel have power over you because that's a lie. It is a lie. We, if we're going to be anything in this world or anything to ourselves or anything to each other or anything to the Lord, we've got to get this right. We've got to get out of the condemnation of the law and get into the authority that's been given us and the power that we have from the cross. And I'm, I'm going to end it with this. This is a good scripture. It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So now, beloved ones, stand firm, stable and enduring. Live your lives with unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. Because we are sure that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. Right? Amen. Let's pray, you guys. Lord, I just pray that um, in this season, this new season that we're going into, the season, Father God, not only the season of Easter, but this whole year, 2021, Father God, that we shake off what's behind us. We shake off oppression, hopelessness, despair, anything, Father God, that is not from you, that is from the enemy. We shake it off and we put it under our feet. And we keep continuing to, to take authority over whatever mindset or um, action or anything that comes against us, Lord, we take authority over it if it is not from you, God. We make a decision right now to line up with what we have been given from the cross, what Jesus has actually done for us, what he has given us. We make a decision right now to line up with that and to walk with that in a continual fashion, continually taking authority, continuing looking to the future, looking to you, trusting you, Father God, because you have given us everything we need for life and life abundant, Lord. We bless you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.